Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, in through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm happy to have uh, Jay Scott from uh, Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. I mean, that's one of the, uh, probably one of the, you know, most, uh, you know, growing podcasts. Uh, or I think, I think, and how long has he been there, uh, Jay? Yeah, we've been uh, doing the podcast for about a year and a half. About a year and a half. Okay, yeah. about a year and a half out there and uh, it is it is a part of the series that bigger pockets have put in right and um, and i think it's it's doing very well right now uh, jay own jay have done a lot of uh, transaction in single family i mean i used to read his book uh, when he was uh, very active in bigger pockets he's still a very active right but now he owns uh, one of the podcasts as well uh, he have wrote a book on the flipping um, and uh, have done a lot of uh, contribution to bigger pockets. So he have done almost 500 transactions, focusing a lot in uh, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, and Texas as well. Hey, Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, James. Sure. So, so why not you tell a bit more about this bigger pocket business podcast? Because I, I want to make sure that I give you the the full leverage of you introducing that podcast to my listeners and my audience as well. Yeah, so I come from, I'm, I'm a business guy and engineer by background. So I have an intellectual engineering degree. I have an MBA. Um, uh, same so, like me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we make the best investors, I think. Um, I, I spent much of my career in Silicon Valley, in the tech world, um, in the corporate world. And so uh, when I got into real estate in 2008, um, I knew nothing about real estate. Literally, um, uh, I had just purchased my first personal residence. Uh, I'm not a handy person. I've never done uh, renovations. I'm not a contractor. Um, I knew very little about the real estate side of real estate, but I knew the business side. And, and, and so when I grew my real estate business starting in 2008, uh, I always focused on how do I build my real estate business like a business where the real estate was just my inventory. The real estate was just the, the, the domain. Um, I never really thought of myself as a real estate person. I thought of myself as a business guy who transacted in real estate. And so that's how I kind of built my business. And, and that's how I got good at real estate, even though I, I like to say I'm still not very good at real estate. I'm just good at running a real estate business. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, two years ago, Bigger Pockets came to me and said, we'd love to, for you to host one of our new podcasts. And so they were thinking I would do a flipping podcast because I've I'm kind of known for flipping a lot of houses or something like that. And I said, look, honestly, I've I've done so many interviews on flipping. It's just not something I'm interested in anymore. And they said, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, look, one of the reasons I've been successful in real estate and one of the reasons why a lot of other people end up being successful in real estate is because they treat their business like a business. And so I would love to have a business podcast where I can talk to entrepreneurs, business owners, founders um, from all walks of life, not just real estate, um, and basically learn how to be a better business owner, how to be a better entrepreneur, and basically teach our listeners how to be better business owners and entrepreneurs so that they can apply those lessons to to whether it's their real estate business or whether they're side businesses, whatever it is, they can apply those business lessons to become better investors and better business people. Got it, got it, got it. So it's very interesting, right? Because you know, you are like me, you know, as an engineer, and then you did an MBA. What was the gap between the engineer and the MBA? How many years after you did your engineering? I I finished my engineering degree in '93, and I think I I started the MBA in 2003, so about 10 years. Um, before I even uh, went that route. And why did you do your MBA? 
because I, I was always, I, I, well, I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't the best engineer, first of all. <laughs> um, and so uh, it, it was, for me, I, being in the weeds of the engineering was, was nice, I, it was fine, um, but I always, I take a more holistic view of things. And so I found myself just gravitating towards the management side and the product side. I, I ended up being um, a, a senior product person at Microsoft for, for much of my career. Um, but looking at products and businesses holistically, um, as opposed to being down in the weeds of any one part of the business, um, I, I, I ended up being a better uh, leader and manager than I was um, engineer. Got it. Yeah, I mean, similar to me, right? I mean, I was an engineer, but, you know, I love solving problems, bigger problems. And being a manager gives you that edge, right? Rather than just sitting in front of the computer yeah. and doing coding or doing some RTL design or, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, for me, it was a bit too boring, right? So too monotonous. I mean, we need to talk to people, solve problem by having people talking to you and looking at different mechanics of the different departments and trying to solve bigger problems, I would say. Yeah, I, I like I you you said it perfectly. I love to solve problems, and mm -hmm. for me, solving an engineering problem is great. But if I can solve a business problem, that's that's a bigger problem to solve, um, and ultimately a more important problem. And that's not true. I mean, all problems are important, uh, but for the business in general, solving those big business problems um, is what's going to drive the the business forward. And so for me, I, I like those bigger problems um, as opposed to sitting in front of a, a, a computer and computer, solving yeah. the little problems. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to find your. I'm trying to go into your mind when you are an engineer, you are an MBA, and when did you? think that, hey, maybe I should do this real estate. And, and what, what was that aha moment that triggered you to go into real estate? Honestly, um, there was never an aha moment. We fell into real estate accidentally. So 2008, my wife and I decided to get married. She was in the, the tech world, the corporate world as well. And we were both working long hours. We were both traveling way too much. We were getting older. We were in our 30s. And we realized if we were going to get married, we just couldn't keep living the, the corporate lifestyle that we had been living. We just, we wouldn't have had time to, to start a family and raise a family. And that wasn't what we wanted. We wanted to really be able to, to focus on building a family. So as soon as we got married, or we actually, before we got married, we quit our jobs, we moved to the East Coast and we said, okay, let's figure out what we're gonna do next. And again, we were both business people. We both had business backgrounds. So our thought were, was we would start a small business or we would do some angel investing and invest in businesses, or we'd start a franchise or something business related. And while we were trying to figure out, this was summer of 2008, we were trying to figure out what that thing was that we were going to start. Um, my wife half jokingly was watching HGTV and said, let's flip a house. Like, it'll give us something to do. And she's a marketing design person. So she really liked the, the idea of being able to take an old house and redesign it and, and sell it. And so she was half joking, but I said, sure, why not? Let's, let's do that while we're trying to figure out what we ultimately want to do with our lives. Um, so we flipped a house, we flipped another house, we flipped another house. Before, I, before we knew it, um, we were just flipping houses and we were in real estate and it was never a conscious decision that we had become real estate investors. Um, it just kind of naturally happened. While we were trying to figure out what else we were going to do, we started doing real estate. Before we knew it, we were real estate investors. Got, got it, got it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know you have been doing a lot of house flipping, right? So, and what about rentals? Have you thought about flipping rentals? I mean, rentals is usually slightly a longer term flip. That's it, right? Uh, that's what I, I started with. So why you never thought about no, we, we, we did. Um, so we were flipping a lot of houses. We flipped um, our, our first hundred houses in the first three years. And, um, and at the same time, I realized, okay, we need to start holding rentals also. We need to start building long-term wealth and, and cash flow. And so I would buy, we bought a lot of rentals between 2008 and 2015. The problem was I wasn't smart enough to recognize that there are great property management companies out there. Um, that can handle these for me. And I was doing my own property management and I would buy a rental. I would put a tenant in, the tenant would call me in the middle of the night because they had an issue um, or the tenant would move out and I'd have to find another tenant. And every time this happened, I would just get 
frustrated. I'm like, I don't enjoy dealing with people. I don't enjoy dealing with tenants. Um, let's sell this property. And so I found that every time I bought a rental property, I would hold it for a year or two or three and then resell it. And it wasn't until 2018 that I recognized that, well, I, I realized that long-term holds were a great way to build wealth and a great way to build passive income. Um, but I wasn't being true to that belief because I kept selling. So it was 2018 before we started buying and, and most of the properties that we bought since 2018, uh, we haven't sold. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. I started with uh, 13 houses uh, when I started in 2013, 11 of it was rental and two of it was flipped in the middle. And that too was really a painful lesson about the amount of pressure you have in the hard money cause and you know yep. you have to sell it. And you know, if you buy bigger houses, you have to make sure the finishing is good. And it's just, it was just so painful. And I said, I'm, I'm promising myself, I'm no more going to do a short-term flip anymore. If I do it, it's a long-term flip, right? So it's a painful process. But, but I think there are some people who are doing it very well because they put the systems and process and, and all kind of uh, systems there, right? So Yeah, absolutely. Nice and that's what we were good at. That's what I, I'm, I'm good at, the systems and processes. Um, basically, I, I structured the business. It took a little while, but I was able to structure the business so that we were doing 30 houses a year and I wasn't spending time at any of them. Um, so we were good at hiring good people and surrounding ourselves with good people. And this is when it was a lot easier to find good contractors than it is today. Um, but systems and processes have always been my forte. Um, so for me, scaling the flipping business actually wasn't that difficult and was more enjoyable. It was more challenging than, than buying rentals. Um, and so, yeah, everybody has different, different, uh, skills and interests. And for me, um, the challenge of building a, and scaling a flipping business was, was, a, was a, a fun challenge. Got it. Got it. Got it. So talk about the science of real estate, right? I mean, your mind, what is the science behind this real estate? I mean, in terms of appreciation, you know, flipping and, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that plays into a real estate problem solving, right? Where you make yep. money end of the day, right? So can, I mean, from your perspective, what do you think is, is why does, how does a real estate make a really good investment? Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, there are four financial benefits of um, owning any asset. And so one is cash flow. Um, two is appreciation, which in real estate, there's a couple different ways to get appreciation. Um, you can buy low and, and build in appreciation on day one, um, or you can buy and hold. Obviously, buying and holding is not, um, a, not a guaranteed strategy. If you look at a lot of real estate around the country over the last hundred years, um, it's basically kept pace with inflation, maybe a little bit above. Um, so unless you either are really smart or get really really lucky, um, a lot of times you're not going to get that natural appreciation um, the same way you can get forced appreciation by buying well below market or by putting in the right improvements. But appreciation is kind of that second way of making money. Uh, third way of making money is tax benefits. So real estate, uh, certain types of real estate, flipping is not a good, um, a good tax haven. If, if you flip houses, um, you're actually going to pay probably a lot more taxes than if you just went out and got a job. Um, but certain types of real estate, especially buy and hold real estate has some tremendous tax benefits. So third, third reason to buy real estate or, or any hard asset is, is tax benefits. And then fourth is just that amortization, the, the loan pay down. So being able to take out a loan against property and having your, your tenants pay down your loan over five years or 10 years or 30 years. Um, and basically every time your tenants make a, make a rent payment and you put that towards uh, the principal on your loan, you're building equity. So between cash flow, appreciation, tax benefits, and amortization, I mean, real estate is, is the best investment there is out there, especially buy and hold real estate. Got it. Got it. So what have you been doing recently? Are, we, are you still flipping houses? I know you are recently involved in uh, some multifamily syndication as well. Can you talk about your journey right now yes. from when you started? So it's funny. I think of myself as kind of an investor. 
Um, people kind of pigeon me, pigeonhole me and they say, oh, you're a house flipper. And some people say you're a real estate investor. I actually invest in a lot of things. So um, in the real estate world, yeah, we're still flipping houses and we still do some note investing and we still buy rentals and we've started to do multifamily investing. Um, but I also invest in businesses. I do some angel investing. Um, I own a stable of racehorses, which is something a lot of people don't know. So I invest mm -hmm. in racehorses. Um, so I invest in a lot of things. For me, investing is, is very much, it's a challenge. Um, and I love the challenge of trying to figure out an asset class, um, figure out how to kind of maneuver through an asset class uh, and make money by investing in it. Um, and so to me, real estate, uh, there's, I, I don't consider myself a multifamily investor or a flipper, or even just a real estate investor. I'm an investor in general, and I, I like to find good opportunities and, and do my best to exploit them. Is there an, an asset class that you like more now, or you should have, you think that I should have found it earlier? You don't have to say multifamily. I know a lot of people are very biased in multifamily podcasts. They say multifamily is the best, right? So just from your perspective. Uh, so honestly, it, it's funny in 2008, when we were trying to figure out what the business we were going to start was, one of the things I had considered before we ever flipped a house um, was buying multifamily. So buying uh, an apartment building. I remember picking up a book um, on, on multifamily syndications back in 2008 um, and saying, this is what I want to do. And we had moved to Atlanta. Um, and I remember looking at some multifamily and what I realized in 2008 was there was no transaction volume. I mean, we're at the depth of the, of the great recession, uh, sellers weren't coming down on price, buyers weren't coming up. So, so there was no transaction volume, very few things were selling. Um, and so I quickly kind of gave up on that idea and said, okay, I'll come in, I'll revisit that at some point. And unfortunately I got so involved in flipping and single family rentals and lending and notes and other things that 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 passed me by which were all fantastic opportunities for multifamily. Um, and it wasn't until last year that I, I finally got smart and said, hey, this is something I've wanted to do for 10 years. Um, I may have missed the best opportunity, but there's still some great opportunities out there. And so I still love multifamily. Um, I wish I would have started five years sooner. Um, but I, I think for anybody that's getting into, um, into real estate now, um, looking into multifamily is, is probably, it, it's never a bad idea. What about other asset class than multifamily? What, what else do you like? So right now, um, I'm a big fan of buying and holding assets right now. I think um, the, the economy is at a pretty precarious point. Um, I, I think from here, I think we may not have a lot farther to drop, um, but I think we'll see some softening in, in a bunch of asset classes. Um, and so I, I'm not a fan of doing any, or I'm not a fan of doing much transactional type investing in any asset class. I'm not doing a whole lot of flipping. I'm not buying any assets that, that I'm hoping will increase in value um, short term and then resell. Basically all the, the, the investing I'm doing these days is longer term holds. So whether that's real estate or business assets or other assets, um, I'm looking for those things that I can hold three, five, seven years um, that will basically take us through the end of this cycle. I see some more down in this cycle um, and then into the next economic cycle where I think things will, will improve. Got it. Got it. So yeah, before we go into the economic cycle and a bit, bit more detail on that, I, I know a few months back, I heard, I heard you on another podcast. You said that this is the best time to buy businesses because businesses are suffering in you know, a retail yeah. restaurant. A lot of people are suffering right now. Right. Yeah. So are you still in that mindset that you think businesses are, uh, are the best option right now? It's, it's the best uh, deals right now. I think there are some very good deals. I, I kind of use the analogy in 2008, um, there were millions of people that were losing their houses. Um, foreclosures were, were through the roof. And, and, um, and so while it was horrible for the economy and it was horrible for those people that were losing their houses, um, it was a tremendous opportunity for real estate investors. Uh, we, some of the easiest and best deals we ever did were back in 2008 at the, at the absolute depths of the uh, Great Recession um, because there was so much opportunity. Um, and so today I see something very similar in the business world um, because of COVID, um, because of the lockdowns, we've seen a lot of businesses that are struggling, a lot of business owners that are um, either 
losing their business or they're just fed up with trying to struggling through it. And they're saying, look, I'm just going to retire right now, or I'm going to go back to a W2 job, um, or I'm just going to, to shut down my business and I'll start over again when, when the economy improves. There are a lot of people who are really, they're just, they're, they're done with their business. And so we see a lot of businesses going away. And just like in 2008, um, with, with all these people that were losing their houses, providing an opportunity for, for real estate investors, all these people losing their businesses right now provides an opportunity for people that want to take over a business or want to run a business or want to buy a business for cash flow. Um, because there are a whole lot of people right now that are saying, look, I can't do this anymore. I'm willing to sell my business really cheap. I see business owners who are saying, I'm willing to give you my business. Just promise me you won't fire my employees. Just keep my employees employed um, and I'm happy to give you the business. Um, and there are a lot of business owners now that have the ability to do seller financing um, because they, they would rather take uh, $2,000 a month for the next five years than, than to just go out of business, which is their other alternative. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. And I think um, right now there's still a lot of stimulus money out there. Um, there's a lot of SBA money through EIDL loans and PPP loans. There's direct stimulus to, to, um, to consumers. So with all the stimulus money out there, I think there are a lot of business owners who are holding on by a thread right now, but I have a feeling in the next three to six months, we're going to see a lot of businesses go under and it's, it's a, providing a ton of opportunity for anybody out there that's looking to pick up a business relatively cheap or at a very low multiple of income. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, after listening to you and a few other podcasts, I was trying to look for some businesses to buy and I can never find it. I mean, people are still not bringing down that price. I mean, um... it's, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's very much, um, it, it's, it goes back to what I was saying about multifamily in 2008. There wasn't a lot of transaction volume. Uh, sellers aren't quite desperate enough that they're, they're willing to give away their business. Buyers aren't quite desperate enough that they're willing to, to pay like decent multiples, um, but sellers are starting to come down and buyers are coming up and, and they're going to meet in that middle pretty soon. And I think it'll be when stimulus runs out and, and, um, and the stimulus money runs out. There are a lot of businesses right now that are still operating with stimulus money, um, able to keep their employee, employees employed. Um, but as we're starting to see a second wave of shutdowns and as that stimulus money starts to run out, um, I, I think we're going to start to see a whole lot more transaction volume uh, for businesses. So I'm, I'm thinking the next three to six months. And where do you go and look for this kind of businesses? Is it connections or is it bizbysell.com? It's very much the same way. I, I like to use real estate as an analogy for entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, just like in real estate, there's two ways to buy real estate. There's on market and off market. Um, you can go on the MLS, you can go to auctions, you can compete with a million other people to buy publicly listed real estate deals. Same thing in, in, in businesses. You can go to auction sites, you can go to biz buy sell, you can uh, go to uh, buybusinessesnow.com, you can go to all these places that list businesses publicly. Um, and you can compete with other buyers. What you'll find just like with real estate these days is there are a lot of businesses um, that have been sitting for a month or three months or six months. And just like with real estate, if it doesn't get scooped up in the first day or two, it's probably not a great deal. Um, but you'll occasionally find deals. And just like real estate, there are the, the best way to buy deals is off market. And with real estate, you can put out bandit signs, you can cold call, uh, you can send direct mail, you can, you can knock on doors, same way with businesses. You can send direct mail. I, I, when I walk into a business now, um, that is the type of business that might interest me, I'll strike up a, a discussion with the, with the owner and just say, or, the, or whoever's working there and just say, how's business these days? And you'd be surprised. People will tell you, yeah, things aren't that great. I'm not sure we're going to make it. Um, and that's your opportunity to just say, hey, look, I buy businesses. Um, tell me your situation. Maybe there's an opportunity. No different than when you knock on the door and say, hey, I see that, that your house um, is 30 days behind on, on their mortgage payment. Um, I buy houses. Maybe you'd be interested in chatting. So the off-market deals are, 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 are very similar. There are brokers out there that specialize in representing sellers. 
Um, so if you can find a broker in your area that, that sells the type of business that you're interested in, a lot of times build a relationship there. And just like in the multifamily space, it can be difficult to build those relationships with brokers. Um, but if you can, if you can prove to a broker that you're a serious buyer, a lot of times they can bring you off market deals that, that are really good. So just think about all the things you do to get real estate deals and you, you can do the exact same thing in, in the business world. So as a real estate person, what would be a suitable businesses to buy? I'm a big fan. So it, there's no right answer to that question. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody has to set their own criteria. Um, but for me, a couple things that I like. One, I like real estate adjacent businesses, meaning businesses that are related to real estate for several reasons. One, I know the business. Um, to some degree. If I were to go buy an HVAC business right now, I don't know anything about installing HVAC, but I understand that market to a large degree. Um, number two, I can be a customer of that business. Uh, if I buy an HVAC business, I own a mold remediation business that I bought last year, the end of last year. Um, I'm a customer for that mold remediation business because I buy a lot of houses that have mold or have water issues. We also do uh, 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 burn houses, houses that have been on fire. Um, and so that's a business that can help me in my own real estate investing. And then third, those businesses, sometimes you have a built-in audience. So I, I know a lot of investors in my area. I let everybody know I own a mold remediation business. So if any investors have a mold issue or a water or a fire issue, they know to come to me. So buying a, a real estate adjacent business um, just provides a lot of benefits um, as opposed to buying a business in some other industry that, that you know little about and has nothing to do with your real estate investing. So that's number one. Number two, I look for businesses that are recession resistant. I want businesses that I don't care if the, the economy is doing well, the economy is doing poorly. It's one of the reasons I love the mold business. Um, typically when somebody has a mold problem or a water issue, they're not saying, ah, I'll put that off until the economy improves and I, I, I make more money. No, if they have a, a mold issue, they need that resolved right away, regardless of what the economy is. And a lot of times it's covered by insurance and insurance companies are gonna pay you whether the, the economy is doing well or doing poorly. So I like recession resistant businesses. Um, third, I like businesses that are scalable. Um, so running a small retail shop in a strip center that appeals to the local market, yeah, that might be fun. That might be something that helps you get to know your neighbors and gives you something to do during the day, but that's not scalable. I like businesses that can be franchised or can be grown. Um, I, I haven't done any online businesses yet, but online businesses are fantastic um, because they honestly, they can be scaled as, as big as you want to scale them. Um, but we're, again, with our mold remediation business, it's the first business that we're starting to look into uh, franchising it. Um, so I like the scalability. So for me, those are the three big things I look for, real estate adjacent, recession resistant, and scalable. Got it, got it. That's very interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to be looking for some things in the next three to six months, right? As an entrepreneur, we always look for opportunities, right? But you know, absolutely. Let, let's see whether something happens or not. I mean, and what about, okay, so coming back to um, housing and uh, economic cycle, right? So I know you have been giving a lot of, uh, you know, uh, webinars about, you know, economic cycle and housing. So where do you see we are going from here? Yeah. To, so the economy uh, the next two years, two or three yeah, years. The, the economy is in a really weird place right now. Um, so typically you like to be able to say, hey, are we at the top of the market? Are we at the bottom of the market? Are things trending down? Are things trending up? Um, but right now it's difficult to say where we are um, because the market isn't a real reflection of reality with between all the stimulus. So again, we have small business stimulus. We have big business stimulus. We have the Fed buying mortgage-backed securities and bonds and, and throwing monies at, at, at money at some of the largest companies with the eviction moratorium, with um, the, the forbearances. Um, basically, we're living in a world where people aren't having to deal with the real bad economic things that are happening in, around us. Um, and, and we're propping up the economy. Um, and so I think once we see the stimulus kind of go away, once we see COVID no longer impacting the market, we're going to find ourselves in, in some place. I don't know where it's going to be. I, I, my gut is that we're going to find ourselves in the middle of the downturn. And once the stimulus stops and COVID goes away, we're going to see a softening 
in the market. I think we're going to see a continued downturn. Um, and so my expectation is that real estate right now is again, in a weird place. We have a very inefficient real estate market. Um, there are a lot of sellers out there that because of COVID, they don't want to list their house. They, they would be sellers, um, but, but because of COVID, they don't want people coming through their house. They don't want to have to leave every time there's a showing. So there are millions of people out there that would love to be selling their house right now, but they're waiting for COVID to end. And when COVID finally ends, when we have a vaccine or when things start to open up, I think there are a lot, there's a lot of pent up supply out there that's going to release on the market. And when supply kind of increases quickly, what we see is a, a drop in prices. So I think we're going to start to see a softening uh, in the real estate market. I'm not saying it's going to be like 2008. I'm not saying it's going to be the Great Depression. Um, but I think we are going to see a drop in, in, in hard asset prices in general. Um, and then I think over the next couple of years, I think we're going to start to see inflation. Anytime you print a lot of money, you're going to see some type of inflation. Depending on where that money goes, you might see asset inflation, like the cost of apartment buildings and houses and, and other hard assets. Um, or you might see what we call CPI inflation, which is the increase in prices of everyday goods. Um, typically, which type of inflation you see is going to be dependent on when you print the money, where does the money go? If the money goes to wealthy people, well, what do wealthy people do with their money? They put it in hard assets. And so that's what we saw after 2008. That's what we saw. That's what we've seen since the beginning of, of, of COVID in 2020 is that a lot of this money that's been printed has gone to wealthy people. What have they done? They put it in the stock market. They put it in, in housing. And so we see the stock market going up. We see the price of, of houses and apartment buildings going up. Um, and so we see this, this asset inflation. But we've also seen a lot of this money flow into the retail sector and the consumer sector. I mean, we're handing people $1,200 checks. Um, and so when that happens, people start spending money. They start buying more milk and buying more cars and buying more TVs. Um, and when they buy more stuff, at least when the, the market starts to pick up again, when people are free to start buying more stuff, um, because right now a lot of people are saving a lot of money. When the market opens up, people are going to start spending and businesses, when, when people start spending, businesses have to keep up with all that, that demand. And they keep up with demand by hiring more people and buying more inventory and getting warehouse space and buying equipment. And so when they do that, they have to raise their prices to account for all that. And that's what causes the prices of all our stuff to go up. Um, so at some point soon, I think the, the economy is going to start to improve. And with all that money we've printed, all that extra money in the economy, what we're going to see is we're going to see regular inflation and we're going to see the price of things going up faster than it has been in the recent past. Now, as real estate investors, this provides us a tremendous opportunity. When we start to see inflation, there are two great hedges against inflation. Number one, real estate. Real estate's a great hedge against inflation. Why? Because cash goes down in value during inflation. If I keep my money in the bank for a couple of years during inflation, the purchasing power of that money, that cash is going to drop. But if I take $100,000 and put it into, let's say, a, a single family house um, that I rent out, as the price of things goes up, as the price of my milk goes up, as the price of cars go up, as the price of everything goes up, well, the price of real estate goes up and the cost of rent goes up. So while everything gets more expensive for me, the stuff that I invested in, the real estate is going up in value and the rent that I'm charging my, my, my tenants is going up. And so I'm making more money. So basically buying real estate is a great way to preserve your, your wealth to preserve your net worth. And then the absolute best way to, to, to hedge against inflation and actually to make money during inflation is by getting debt against your properties. So think of it this way. If I take out a mortgage on a $100,000 house today and that mortgage is $1,000 a month, let's say, Next year, let's say the price of everything doubles, the price of my milk doubles and my butter doubles and my hamburger doubles and my car doubles. Well, most likely my wages are going to double. My salary is going to double as well. And the price of my real estate is going to double. So next year, if everything doubles, instead of making $100,000 a year, I'm now making $200,000 a year. Instead of my, that piece of real estate I bought being worth $100,000, it's now worth $200,000. But you know what hasn't doubled? that $1,000 a month mortgage payment. The mortgage didn't change, right? So that that's why you lock in, lock in your profit, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, I'm paying, instead of taking 1% of my salary this year and paying off my, my, my monthly mortgage, next year, I'm only taking a half a percent 
mm-hmm. of my salary and paying down that mortgage every month. And so basically leveraging your real estate, leveraging your hard assets is the absolute best hedge against inflation. You're actually making money when the cost of everything goes up because the, the, the value, the cost of your loan hasn't gone up. Yeah, that's why I think the power of real estate, when you lock in that fixed rate mortgage for long term, yep. like in commercials, 10 to 15 years, in, 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 in a normal house, is like 30 years. So you're actually locking in, but your house value is going up. And so it's yep. okay, it's inflation to go up, which is good for real estate investors because you already locked in with the debt, right? So that's yep. really good. Yeah. So, um, and then I think interest rates are going to stay low for the next few years. Um, I think um, basically the best way to kind of spur the economy along when the economy is not doing well is to lower interest rates. Um, the best way to slow down economy, an economy that's overheated is to raise interest rates. Well, I think we all know that over the next few years, we're going to want to speed that economy up. We're going to want to spur that economy on. So we have to keep rates low. The other thing is we're printing all this money. Well, the, the cost of paying the interest on that money is going to be highly dependent on our interest rates. The higher our interest rates, the more we have to spend to pay the interest or the debt service payments on, on all that money we're printing. Um, so to keep our interest payments, the government's interest payments low, we're going to have to keep interest rates low. So I think at least over the next two, three, five years, we're, we're probably going to see low interest rates. Got it. Got it. And what do you think about single family versus multifamily? I mean, I know during 2008, you know, there was a lot of people moving out from single family, going and renting in multifamily, multifamily boom, right? Are we going to see the same thing? Uh, do you think there's going to be the same thing right now or, or for the next few years? Uh, it's a really, really hard question. Um, what I like to tell people is um, pick an asset class, not necessarily because you think it's going to do better in the long term. If you're going to hold your property for five or 10 or 30 years, it doesn't matter if you're buying single family or multifamily. I mean, both are going to go up over the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. So pick your asset class based on other things. Pick your asset class based on what's available in your area. Pick your asset class based on how you plan to manage it. So some of us, we, we I, like I said, I hate managing my own properties. And it's a lot easier for me to buy a 50 or 100 or 200 unit property and get property management in there than it is to buy 50 or 100 or 200 single families and figure out how to manage all those. But for some people, maybe you like managing your own single family. It's easier for you to manage 50 single family properties than it would be to manage a 50 unit apartment complex. Um, If that's the case, then buy 50 single families. Again, it it, it really all depends on on what you're looking for. Um, Typically, single family is, it's, it's harder to get the economies of scale but single family is typically going to appreciate more than multifamily, especially if you buy class A or class B single family. Um, houses in nice neighborhoods tend to appreciate uh, more than multifamily does because multifamily is going to appreciate based on specifically income. The, the income and mm-hmm. the cap rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but single family is going to appreciate based on what the stuff around you is doing. And if it's a good, good school district and it's a good neighborhood and it's a nice house, um, a lot of times you're going to see higher levels of appreciation than you would in, in multifamily NOI. Got it, um, got it. But, but at the same token, you don't get the economies of scale. I mean, when you buy a multifamily, it's nice that you can, you can go out and you can buy a thousand windows instead of having to buy uh, five windows. It's nice that, that you can pay 3% for property management as opposed to paying 10% for property management. Um, so, so there are definitely economies of scale in multifamily that are, that are more beneficial than single family. So, and then it boils down to where are you getting your financing? Where are you getting your money? If you're really good at raising um, private money, um, but you don't have good credit, you don't have a, a key principal, somebody that can sign your loans for you, it might be easier for you to go out and buy five single family houses tomorrow than it is to go out and buy one five unit that's now classified as commercial. So that's another question to ask yourself. So every situation is going to be different. Uh, personally, I don't think, I, I can't say one single family is better than multifamily or vice versa at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good answer because sometimes some people will be biased, right? If they've been doing only multifamily, they say multifamily is the greatest, right? So, mm-hmm. so I've gone to single family and multifamily and I think both has really good strength on it. And, and you are right. I mean, you can definitely get, do very well, even with single family, even with any asset class, as long as you master the nuances, there's so much of details in each asset class. And if you can 
master if you really like certain asset class versus like non recourse versus recourse right like management versus third party management all that what do you really like and you can definitely make money on any of that asset class you just have to find your niche i say right yep and and, and diversification plays a role as well so mm-hmm. um i i would much rather own um 10 single family in 10 different states which t- trust me i don't want to own 10 single family properties in 10 different states, but I'd rather own 10 single property, 10 single family properties in 10 different states than own one 10 unit in an area that doesn't have population growth, that doesn't have wage growth, that doesn't have employment growth, that doesn't have uh, employment diversity. Basically, if, if you buy in the wrong area, the more units you buy, the more risk you have. So the nice thing about single family is you don't have to be as correct on an area um, because you can diversify in areas. I can buy, even if I like a certain state, I can buy 10 single families each a half hour from each other. And they're probably going to have different um, socioeconomic um, uh, uh, impact on who the tenants are. They're going to have different um, in, input into who the, the employment, the, who the employers are in each of those areas, even though they're only a half hour apart. But if I buy a 10 unit all at one place, I have the same tenants. I have this, I'm relying on the same employers. I'm re- relying on the same population growth. Um, so single family does offer the ability to diversify a little bit easier. Got it. Got it. So coming back to um, different market. Right. So you have a few like four to five market that you focused on yeah. uh, pre COVID. We had some markets implemented rent control. Right. And during COVID, we, re- we really re- we were able to see a lot of market reacted differently. Right. Some some were tenant friendly, some were landlord friendly, you know, uh, yeah. and even within one market, even like even within Texas, we can see different cities re- behaving differently. Right. So Absolutely. that reveals a lot of things about, you know, where would we go from from here, right? I mean, yep. do you think that, I mean, for the past, you know, five to 10 years, a lot of people have been moving to Southeast, like Texas, Florida, Georgia, yep. and people are moving out from California. I don't know whether people are moving up. I saw another data saying that they said there's also people moving in, it's just different yep. demographic, right? Absolutely. And uh, New York and, uh, you know, so where do you think, how, how would the movement of renters or population growth is going to be for the next five years and how would this different, uh, you know, renters uh, or, you know, um, cities behavior would change the landscape of real estate? Yeah, I, I think five years is really tough. I don't think I'm smart enough okay, to two figure out years. five years, but but if I look a year out, two years out, mm-hmm. um, I think COVID, the, the, the trends from COVID are, are becoming pretty clear. Um, people are moving from more highly dense areas to more lowly, low density, low density areas. Uh, people are moving from smaller apartments, smaller units to units with more bedrooms. People are moving from cities to suburbs. Um, a lot of people now have more flexibility in their jobs. There are a lot of employers who are saying, hey, we, we're now 10 months into COVID. Um, we're able to survive, our business is able to survive without people coming into the office. Why should we have the, the cost and the overhead of having an office? I mean, you look at Twitter, Twitter has told their employees, you never have to come back. Um, uh, Google has told their employees, look, we're gonna go 30% um, remote after this and 30% of our employees are always gonna be remote. Um, so a lot of these big tech companies in California are saying people don't have to come back. So what are people going to do when, when they don't have to, to live in a certain spot? Are you going to choose to live in San Francisco where you're in a 600 unit, um, a, a 600 square foot uh, single bedroom uh, apartment that you're paying $3,500 or $4,000 for? Or are you going to move down to Florida where you can get like for, for, for $1,000, you can get a two bedroom apartment and not pay income tax. Um, people are going to go in the place that has the lower cost of living, that has lower taxes, that has nicer weather. Um, and so where are those places? A lot of them are in the South and the Southeast. And so we're going to see a lot of people move into Tennessee and Florida and Texas and Arizona, um, because they have the opportunity to do that. Um, so I think over the next year or two, I, I wouldn't want to be overpaying in cities. Um, I wouldn't want to be overpaying in, in high density areas. I think it'll all even out eventually. Um, there are benefits to cities. People will eventually move back in because people like the amenities, people like the nightlife. There are things that people love about the city. So I think once that the, 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 um, the fear of COVID kind of goes away, cities will recover. 
Um, but it could take a couple of years and it may not be the full recovery that, that it, things may not get back to where they are now. I mean, I, I lived in the Bay Area, California in the tech, tech uh, hub of the world for a long time. And my guess is that it could be a long time, if ever, before San Francisco sees the types of prices that they saw a year ago. Um, because we may never get back to a point where companies are requiring all their employees to come in again. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a big change, right, in the tech world. Right? I mean, I met, a, I met a friend the other day who, who, uh, who are living in Austin and he's a real estate investor and said, when did you move to Austin? He said, oh, well, I moved like last month and I was a full-time engineer in Bay Area. Yeah. And when he moved to Austin, he said, oh, I'm not working anymore. I said, why? Oh, I got a 3,000 square feet house and I'm a real estate investor. Yep. Because I brought all my equity from my W2 yep. and my, my uh, house there. And here you can buy like three or four houses and you start investing. Well, that's like an easy retirement, right? Just move from Absolutely. California to Austin and you retire. Done. Absolutely. <laughs> it's crazy, right? So, so let's go to a, a more personal uh, level, right? So um, why do you do what do you do? Um, we started doing this because we knew we needed to put our family ahead of our business, ahead of work. Um, we, we gave up very lucrative jobs, making a lot of money, um, but it was an easy decision because we knew we wanted to have a family and we knew we wanted to put our kids first and our family first. And um, since day one, our kids have worked with us. They, since the day they were born, they were going to closings and they were going to houses and they were going to meetings. Um, and um, to this day, I mean, my kids are involved in everything we do to some extent. They're, they're nine and 11 now. Um, and they know our businesses very, very well because we've, we've kind of brought them into the fold. And so for me, real estate and investing in general has been an opportunity um, to basically raise my kids in an environment where Parents are always around and they're always integrally involved in the business so that when they grow up, they understand if, if, if my kids want to grow up and, and, and work as a waiter in a restaurant, absolutely. I, I, I just want them to be happy. Um, but I also want them to know that if they want to be investors, if they want to be business owners or entrepreneurs, um, that that opportunity awaits them. I, I grew up in a household where being an investor, being an entrepreneur, really, that wasn't a thing. And so I had to learn on my own that that exists. I wish I would have learned that 20 years sooner. Um, my kids will have the opportunity to grow up knowing that that's an option. And so I, I love the fact that we can give them more options. We can teach them about this lifestyle that a lot of people would love to live. Um, and at the same time, we get to, to see them uh, an extra eight hours a day that most parents don't. Got it, got it. And it was there like throughout your career in real estate or even any other business, from after your working life or throughout your life until now, is there a, a one moment that you are really, really proud of that you did something that you can never forget? Is something that you are really, really proud of and you think that, hmm, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna tell that to my grandkids. That's one story that I'm really proud of myself. Oh, that's tough. Um, I, every day I am so grateful for, for everything we've done and everything we've accomplished and everything we have. Oh, one thing. Um, I, the, the closest I can think of, and my wife and I talk about this all the time, was um, taking our firstborn son, he was three days old, taking him to a closing. Um, and, and that to me, I mean, a lot of people would say, what were you taking your kid, your three day old to a closing? But for us, we were really proud of that because that basically said, um, that the reason that, that we left the corporate world and the reason we started doing this thing on our own, um, we had achieved that. Um, we basically, at that moment, we had achieved the goal of basically being able to put our family first um, and, and work second. We didn't have to go to that closing. Um, but if we were going to go, we were going to do it as a family. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, one last question before to go yeah. to a final round. So let's say you are given a billboard, right? On a, on a large, uh, highway where everyone in this world is passing by. What would you say on that billboard? What's the message from J Scott to the world? Um, be grateful. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, I, I grew up, my wife grew up, we didn't have a whole lot. 
um, and we're very fortunate for what we have today. But even when we didn't have a lot, um, both of us kind of shared that attitude that um, we always have more than other people and we always have to appreciate what we have. And I see way too many people that get caught up in the, the, the idea of we always need more, we always need more, we always need more, and they're not grateful for what they have. They don't, they don't put things into context. They don't see the big picture and realize that for most of us, if you, if you live in the United States, um, if you can put food on the table at night for you and your kids, um, if you have a comfortable bed to sleep in when you go to sleep, you're in the top 1%. I mean, we often, we, we use this term 1% um, as meaning like 1% uh, in the United States where you make $400,000 or, or you have $10 million or whatever the, it is, but people don't realize 1%, most of us are in the 1% of the world. We are, we are, we are in that, that place where 99% of the world looks at us and says, I would kill or die to be in that position. And yet we don't think about it and we don't appreciate it. So I don't know how to put that on, on a, a billboard, but what I like to tell people is be grateful for what you have, because um, if you don't stop to think about it, you don't realize exactly how much you have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like to always say that if you have never seen the other part of the world, you don't really appreciate how you live in the U.S., <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Um, go, go travel. And, go travel. And Take your go kids, go travel, stay somewhere else and appreciate the environment and you will absolutely. realize how much you appreciate over here, right? So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Jay, why not you tell our audience how to get a hold of you and uh, blurb about your podcast as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I hope people will tune in Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Um, we uh, we interview everything from brand new entrepreneurs who are just starting out uh, up to really large and successful entrepreneurs. We've in interviewed Barbara Corcoran, uh, who was on Shark, who's a, one of the sharks on Shark Tank. Uh, one of my favorite guests would, was Jay Papazan, um, who is author of The One Thing and Gary Keller's business partner, um, and everything in between. Um, so please, if you're a real estate investor, you're also a business owner. So learn to be a better business owner. Uh, in terms of how to connect with me, um, I make it easy. Uh, go to connectwithjscott.com. Um, and from there, you can get access to my email, all my websites and everything else I do. Awesome. All right, Jay, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm sure we had a lot of value that we have got from our discussion. I mean, a lot of thought provoking questions, right? I really appreciate it. This is awesome. This is fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, James. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.